Well, I led you on a bit last week because I said we were going to start a series in Revelation, and we are, but not for a few weeks, just in case that's why you were here today. You know, it's the beginning, <laughs> I didn't trick you so you would be here today, I promise. Instead, it's the beginning of a new year, and uh, there are a lot of things. Maybe, I don't know what your church attendance may have looked like over the years. Maybe you have been to church every Sunday of your life forever and ever, however long you've lived. Uh, maybe you have been in and out of church. Maybe you haven't really spent much time in church at all. And I think a, a few things happen, depending on how long we've been at a church. If you haven't really been at church at all, you probably walk in and you say, what is happening? Why are these people standing up? Oh, they sat back down. Like, oh, no, no, they're back up again. We're not Catholic. We don't do that too much. So that's, you know, you have to really be at church a long time to get the Catholic versus Presbyterian jokes. But anyway... When we pass around, we, we showed actually a movie clip a number of years ago of a guy who had never been to church before and his experience in the day. He, he went online, he Googled everything, and he's like, how, how do I go to So he, he brushed his hair, so it was really nice and neat. He wore a nice crisp shirt. You know, he looked very, like, preppy, if we still say that or know what that means. And uh, he, he came in, and everyone he saw, he said, peace be upon you. Peace be upon you, right? He's trying to fit in, do his best. And then he's, he's sitting in the pews, and things are going on. People are doing the standing up and sitting down thing. He's trying to sort it out. And then you know, he's been there kind of a while, and he's starting to get hungry. So you know, all, they start passing around these plates with crackers in them, right? It's, that's communion if, you're not, if you haven't experienced that before. And uh, it's one of the most important moments that we share together as a church. He's like, oh, this is so great. And he grabs a big handful, and he stuffs them all in his mouth and passes them on. And then, uh, then you know, I don't know if you've experienced this, but often churches used unleavened bread because that's what Jesus used at the Last Supper, which means that it's just dry as all get out. Like they were oyster crackers or something. So he takes them, he's chewing them, he's like, oh my gosh, my mouth is so dry. And then little tiny little cups of grape juice comes along, he's like, you know, tossing a bunch of them back down and he's just getting a lot of grace from Jesus. You know, it's, you know, we don't maybe understand what's actually going on. And I want you to know that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We all have to start somewhere. We all have to learn. And part of our goal is to make that process of learning this as easy as possible for you. Uh, and if we ever do something you don't understand, you can ask. And we'll try and stop and explain. We do periodically stop and explain what's going on. But then there's something else that happens. We've been doing it for so long, we don't even really remember why we do it anymore. It's like, here comes the tiny snack, and I, I don't even really know what this is about. I just know everyone else looks really serious when they do this. No one's ever told me, or maybe, maybe I just haven't thought about it in a long time, because we just, we do it. And it's become muscle memory, instead of something I'm really experiencing, really doing and understanding. Or, uh, so whatever the case is, you've been here a long time or a short time, I think it's time for a timeout and to say, what is this all about? Why do we get together on Sundays and do the things that we do? What are the things that we do about in the first place? What do they mean? What's so significant about them? Why do some people not take any of the delicious bread as it comes by, you know, the tiny little morsel? Why do some people always take it? Why do some people sometimes take it and sometimes not take it? 
What's all of that about? That's what I want to try and unpack for us over the next uh, few weeks. We're not going to be in this series for a really long time, but over the next few weeks, what is church about? What do we do? How do we, uh, actually, the, the title of the series, I think we've got it here on the bulletin, which of course I don't have at the moment, but is Church 101. What are the basics you need to know? And we want to start today with, well, what really does it mean to be a church in the first place? What's that all about? And the truth is, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff in scripture that talks about this. And I, I can't possibly cover it all in one Sunday. And I also don't want to spend Sunday after Sunday after Sunday on this one single question. So I just want to give the best snapshot I can this morning. Why do we come here? Why do we do these things? What's so important about church? Why should I be part of a church? Should I be part of a church? So let me start with this question. What is the church for? Now, Kelly, this morning, as we started, she said a couple of things that maybe we think about sometimes. Well, it's, it's, it's for us to get together and have friendship, maybe with like-minded people. And there's a lot that's good and true about that answer, but it really doesn't capture the essence of what it means, why a church is significant for it, why we should be a part of one. Sometimes uh, it's just, it's a refuge, right? Out there in the world, I was thinking as, as Kelly was doing our scripture reading for us this morning, and there's a verse, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. And I thought, that is just exactly what the world is like. And I, I, I'm not saying that cynically, like that stupid world, but saying it with this, it's just we run, we chase after one thing and another, thinking it will satisfy us, thinking that it will have the answer for us, and then we get tired of it and we move on to the next thing. If you take a look at movies and literature over the last uh, couple of decades or so, it's so interesting to me. I read an article about this this week. Um, at first, it was the people who really believed strongly. I, if you've ever seen the Shawshank Redemption, you probably should because I've mentioned it like 18 times in my sermons. It's not for everybody, though. It's a bit rough. It's very rated R. Uh, but if you've ever seen the Shawshank Redemption, there is, uh, it's about a man in prison, and the warden at the prison is a Christian to all appearances. But while he's quoting Bible verses at everybody and, and he's confident that you know, God loves him because he knows and says and does the right things, he's also stealing money, embezzling from the prison and doing all sorts of other mean and nasty things. That was the villain sort of of the 80s and the 90s, right? The one who was convinced they had it all right. He said, that's not, you know, no one has it all right. Yeah, it's the, the key to living well in this world is actually having some humility about your beliefs and maybe not even really saying, you know, I, I have my beliefs, but you have your beliefs, and who can really tell which one is true? Now, fast forward to Harry Potter. Okay, we've really gone in a strange direction. Shawshank Redemption, Harry Potter. But here we are with Harry Potter. The main villain in Harry Potter, Lord Voldemort. You know what makes him so evil? Remember, the warden's evil because he believes strongly in something. Voldemort is evil because he believes in nothing. See that? What a change in just 10 or 20 years. 
And now, uh, I haven't seen this series. I read an article about this. We don't have Netflix uh, anymore. We have other streaming options, but not Netflix. And there's a new series uh, called Wednesday Adams. Has anyone out there seen it? You don't have to. I won't make you out yourself if you don't want to. But, uh, but Wednesday Adams, right, from the Adams family. And uh, I, this series follows her at a school for children who are outcasts and unusual or have special abilities. And, uh, and then they, the school is outside of a town of ordinary people. And there's this tension between the ordinary people and the unusual people. And you know, if, if uh, the old ways of thinking about things were, well, let's just all be humble about things and try and get along, right? That's kind of the, the 90s, the, the warden in Shawshank. Don't be like him. Don't believe so strongly that you're excluding people. And then there's Lord Voldemort who says, well, there's nothing really, just be whatever. But that's terrifying at the end of the day because all that's left is getting power for yourself. But now, with Wednesday Adams, there is a scene I understand where uh, you know, the the principal at the school is trying to help the normals and the uh, abnormals get along and come to some sort of understanding and agreement. And Wednesday says something along the lines of, "We can never agree. They tell their story, we tell ours, and those stories are in conflict. And the only way it'll be resolved is if one of us wins out over another. All of a sudden, the warden in Shawshank has become the hero." although he probably shouldn't embezzle at the same time. We're blown back and forth in this world that we live in. And we need an anchor that holds us somewhere. And the church is part of that. Because the goal of the church, ultimately, is to make each and every person in the church individually, and then the church all together, grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ so that we will then become the presence of Jesus to the world. Earlier in the same letter, in Ephesians 1.22, Paul writes this, and, he, and God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, which is Jesus' body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's what we're aiming at as a church. Uh, and there's a reason. Because we live in a highly individualistic society, and there are good things and bad things about that. Just like living in a highly corporate or group-oriented society, there are good things and bad things about that. But in, in a highly individualistic society, the immediate question is, well, why can't I just go do that on my own? Why do I need all these other people? Because I don't know if you've noticed, but when you get a bunch of people together, things get messy. Right? We've got... You know, people who disagree, people who don't get along, people that we don't always like really well. I mean, it's, it's hard to live in community. Anyone here have a family? <laughs> like, family is hard, isn't it? I mean, and it doesn't matter what expression of family you're talking about. Husband and wife, like, yeah, that's hard. I mean, it's good, but it's hard. And then you have children, and man, that's hard, because now you've got all of these little independent beings running around, like, well, why can't I do that? And eventually you can't think of any reason other than, because I said so! <laughs> and then we've, we've got our groups of friends, right? Maybe you have a group of friends, and we're kind of like family sometimes when we get really close. And what happens? We lose touch with each other. We move away. 
we're no longer close and careful. I mean, it's just hard to stay even physically close by each other. I mean, it's, life gets messy when there are other people involved. Of course, life is just as messy when it's only me. It's just there's no one else complaining about it all the time. But in community, something happens that makes it worth it. Verses 15 to 16 here in our passage in Ephesians 4, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Folks, I know a lot of you are on a little bit of the older edge of the spectrum. You've been around longer than some of us. You've been around longer than me. And it's a wonderful thing. It is. But something happens the older you get, doesn't it? In some ways, you are more and more alone. You have fewer and fewer peers as life goes on. And that can be scary, can't it? And scary can be understating it. What will I do when it's just who will support me and take care of me when my memory goes and I don't know where I am and I don't know what's going on? What happens when I fall and there is no one there to pick me up? Being alone is good until all of a sudden you realize I'm alone. We need each other. We absolutely need each other. Will be there to comfort me when I hurt. I mean, the hard thing, of course, about community is community is the thing that hurts you sometimes, but it's also the place to find comfort. What happens when we cut ourselves off from community is we get bitter and angry by ourselves because we know we need those other people outside of us, but we don't want anything to do with them because of how we've been hurt or we're afraid. We create a greater and greater distance, and nothing gets better, but at least it doesn't get worse, I think is often what we think in those circumstances. We need a community. Because, and here's the other thing, this passage says, because our job as Christians is to be the presence of Christ to the world. Folks, is there anyone out there who has all the gifts that Jesus Christ had? Anybody here feel confident saying that? Is there any, anyone out there who wants to carry the weight that Jesus carried? Like everybody, like this whole earth and everything on it, I am responsible for it, says Jesus, the Son of God. Is that the responsibility you want? We actually, don't we encourage people? You know, you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. You, you need to stop that. You can't do it. You can't be like Jesus alone. But what if, Instead of being like Jesus alone, we were like Jesus together. Then you don't have to be everything, do you? Then you don't have to carry that whole weight, do you? And that can be a hard, that, sometimes that's just as hard to let those things go. It feels like cheating sometimes. When I first came here, uh, you know, the church has a tradition, if, if you don't know this, of on months with five Sundays, we do sermon and song on the fifth Sunday. Okay, and the, the pastor doesn't have to preach. Some people love it. Some people love it less. We'll put it that way. But whatever it is, it was a tradition in the church. And when I came, I stopped doing sermon and song. You know why I stopped doing sermon and song? 
wasn't because I didn't appreciate it, because it's like, I don't have to preach this week. Think of all the other things I could do with my life, all those things I could catch up with. That would be so great. But I felt guilty not preaching. I had to carry that weight each and every week. And so we got rid of sermon and song until someone was like, stop that. Because, <laughs> you know, community's good. <laughs> Yeah, what's, and yeah, and people like sermon and song. So I was actually taking people off at the same time. Like, I feel so guilty to not do it. And everyone's like, do it! However it goes. The goal of the church is to grow into the fullness of Christ so that we will be the presence of Christ to the world. And we do it better as a group than as individuals. Uh, when we first moved up to Exeter, after I finished my master's degree, uh, after I finished seminary, uh, you, of course, Kayla grew up in Exeter. We moved in with... Uh, with her parents, and we were there for, until you let us move into the manse, so seven or eight months, and while we were there, <clears throat> Calvin uh, turned one after he'd been there for a couple of months, and uh, you know, we were new parents, we had no idea what we were doing, uh, and then we had these grandparents there who did know, at least better than we did, what we were doing in the best way. Not like, oh, you're doing it wrong, but nay, let me help sort of way, which was so wonderful. And Calvin had not just two parents who loved him every day, but had these grandparents who were coming around him every day and loving him just the same way. And there was a, a moment while I was there where I thought to myself, this is the way it should be. This is the Elaine with new grandbabies is like, yes. <laughs> This is the way it should be. It's better doing this together than doing this on our own. And we did, you know, eventually move out and probably all happy about that in a lot of ways. But there's something we miss as well. Also, Ray and Carol have other children who can't all move in with them, so that sounds a little out of control. <clears throat> but it was good. Further, now the church... The goal of the church is to grow into the fullness of Christ. So we'll be the presence of Christ to the world. We do it better in community. The church is also a place of empowerment to love each other and love the world. See here in, in Ephesians 4, again, in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he, meaning Jesus, ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. This is actually a picture of a Roman triumph. See, when the Romans conquered some, some far-off country, what they would bring all of the booty back to Rome, all of the things that they pillaged and looted, because that's what you did in the ancient world, and they would bring a bunch of the people that they conquered. They'd bring the king or the ruler, whoever that was, and they would be in chains behind the chariot, walking along behind the conquering general, and they'd be saying, look at this amazing victory we won. Look at the fruit, the wealth that's come to our country through this amazing victory. Look at the glory that belongs to Rome because of our great armies. And I'm not suggesting we should do this. But Paul is using this particular picture and saying when Jesus won this great victory, when he died but rose again from the dead and showed that death has no mastery over him and broke the power of death, he had his own triumph, his own glorious entry into something some, uh, sort of like Rome. He took many captives and then he distributed the fruit of everything he did to his people. 
to the members of his church. And did you catch? It says that grace has been given to each one of us, but as Christ has apportioned it. It means he divided it up, right? He said, you will have some of this. You will have some of that. And then the passage goes on to explain that there are specific gifts that God gives to his people. Now, Ephesians takes a little bit of a different look at some of these gifts. It focuses on the leadership of the church. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But I want to take you back into 1 Corinthians 12, another letter that Paul wrote to another church. And he says this, Now to each one, this is 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by that spirit. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And so on and so on and so on. That's the list he gives. But there are other lists in the New Testament that help us understand this is not a complete list. The idea is that God has as If you are one of his people through faith in Jesus Christ, he has given you a gift that you are to share with the church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul goes on to say, hey, it's like you are different parts of a body. Some of you are eyes, and some of you are hands, and some of you are feet. And he goes the whole thing, and he, he compares the whole different parts of the body to different people in the church, which he calls the body of Christ. And he says, can the eye say to the hand, I have no need of you? Tell me, would the body be greater or less if the eye got rid of the hand? Be less, right? Paul Paul says it doesn't matter if you're a hand or a foot or something that we cover up with clothes because you're not super presentable. The body needs you. So don't say to anyone in the church, we don't need you. Don't act like we don't need you. When people come to our church, and maybe they visit the church, or maybe we're in a new members class and talking about what it means to belong to the church, and one thing I always, always try to say is if God brought you here, it's because you are missing something that this body can give you. And it's true in the opposite direction as well. We are missing something that God will bring to us through you. Isn't that good news? You belong here, and the church needs you here, and the church will serve you and care for you when we're doing it right. Now, uh, when I was outlining this passage, Paul, in Ephesians, he really spends the first three chapters saying, this is who you are. This is what Jesus has done for you. And then in four, five, and chapters 4, 5, and 6, he moves more towards saying, now live like it. Now live in light of these truths. So Paul starts this entire section by saying, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And you know what Paul is saying there? He's saying, do it. Don't just let these be abstract ideas or or things that we put on the wall like, ah, yeah, this, this is what we're about here. But then we don't actually live like it at all. He's saying, live like this is true. And you know what it takes to live in community with each other? It's right here. Be completely 
humble and gentle. What does it mean to be completely humble? It means saying, like in Philippians 2, your needs are as important or more important than mine. Your membership here is as important or even more important than mine. Paul says in Philippians 2, consider others as better than yourselves. He doesn't say others are actually better than you, so live like it. He says, consider others as better than yourselves. Because if you do that, imagine how well you'll treat them. Uh, I have told this story before, but I had a professor in college who said he did premarital counseling. And he, when he, the first thing he'd do, he'd sit the, the uh, what are they called? the guy who's going to get married and the woman who's going to get married, you know, the future groom and the future uh, bride down, and he would point to one of them and he'd say, you, your job is to make sure that your spouse's needs are met. That is what you need to be concerned about. Not your needs, but their needs. And then he'd go to the other one and he says, now your job is to make sure your spouse's needs are met. Not to look to your needs first, but their needs first. And then he would ask them, what happens if both of you live up to that? And they'd say, well, both of our needs get taken care of. Be completely humble. Put others ahead of yourselves. And if we all do that together, no one gets left behind. Be gentle. You know, um, some people have a special gift of gentleness. Most of the rest of us need to learn how to be gentle but it's an important thing to learn to do. Sometimes it feels like I'm just gonna tell the person that truth about who they are and, and where they are, and what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna discourage them. But at least I told them the truth. Paul says that's not how we do community together. Be gentle. Don't chase people out. Constantly be drawing them in. Be gentle. Be patient. Cal loves to say, don't ask for patience because God will teach it to you. And I always say back to Cal, but I need it. <laughs> I need patience. Not least because God has been patient with me. Patience holds us together when things are pulling us apart. Saying, okay, you've gotten it wrong 10 times. <laughs> but we're going to go to 11. That's how we keep communities together. Bearing with one another in love. I just have a picture in my mind of walking next to each other. Right? Sometimes we slow down our pace because the person next to us isn't able to go quite so fast. Sometimes we try and speed up because the person next to us is ready to sprint ahead. But whatever we do, do it together. Bear with each other in love. Someone's dying, we show up. Someone's sick, we make food. I don't know, whatever you do for people who are sick. Somebody is hurting, we listen. We bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now this one, Paul needs to explain a little more. He says, what kind of unity? Well, there's one body. There's one spirit. There's one hope. There's one Lord. There's one faith, one baptism. Why are you living like there are many? He's saying. No, there's, in God, there's only unity. If we are not in unity, that's not from God. 
So we make every effort to keep that unity as one of God's great gifts to us. Because how will the rest of this happen? How will we really walk together? How will we do mission together? How will we bear with each other in love if we are fragmented and broken? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, later in Scripture, in, in 1 John, John speaks to a church that has fractured and broken. And he tells them, that's not, in this case, it's not your fault. Those people left, and you stayed. And you are not God, that you can guarantee unity all the time. But you are disciples of Jesus Christ who can constantly seek unity as far as it depends upon you. So Paul, you know, he's saying to us, how, how do we be church? How do we live up to all of these things that church is supposed to be? And he says, you work at it. You be humble, you be gentle, you be patient, you bear together in love. And you remember there is one God, not many. And you do everything you can to hold that unity together. There's one last thing I want to talk about in this passage. Uh, I mentioned that Paul uh, says, you know, when Jesus ascended on high, he took captives, gave gifts to his people. Uh, and then it says, so Christ himself gave, here's some gifts. What are they? The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, these are specific leaders within the church itself. Paul says, God gave the church leadership. And especially in these days, I need to be really careful and thoughtful in how I talk about this. Because the last thing any pastor should say is, well, because I said so. Right? Parents, maybe, but that's mostly because we got all tired out. We can't take it anymore. But pastors don't get to say that, especially in the climate that we live in. But that doesn't mean that God's ordered leadership isn't good, a good gift to us. So let's take these one at a time. God gives us apostles. And there's a lot we could say here from the unique place of the 12 apostles, who are the original 12 disciples, except for that whole Judas thing, plus maybe Paul. These are unique apostles in the history of the church. But there are others in the New Testament who are described as apostles, who play a foundational role in establishing the gospel at local churches, and then overseeing and maintaining the integrity of the gospel against false teaching against sin and anything else. In the same way, we have established doctrinal boundaries. Actually, I should say we have established doctrinal, doctrinal boundaries. We didn't individually establish them, but they're given to us in part by our denomination, in part by our assent to them that these are good and true and faithful uh, to what scripture actually teaches. And then we have people in our church whose job it is to uphold these doctrinal boundaries and maintain these doctrinal boundaries. And that is primarily the session and myself as your pastor. God has given an ordered leadership to the church such that there are people who are saying, this belongs to us as Christians. This is not part of who we are as Christians. And we can test these leaders through scripture uh, through the wisdom of the church, through the ages. But those people are specially equipped to do that sort of thing. And that's a good thing. Is there anyone here who's read carefully the Westminster Standards, you know, the Longer and Shorter Catechism and, and yeah, the, the Confession of Faith? Is there anyone here, you know, we actually send people to get educated on these things so that they're ready to lead the church in these ways so that we don't all have to bear all the weight of everything all the time. 
So let's trust those people and those institutions within healthy boundaries, holding them accountable as is appropriate. There are prophets who are people with special Holy Spirit insight into the church's current context, because prophecy is mainly about today, not tomorrow, but also who sometimes have insight into the church's future context. This is all by the Holy Spirit. The gift of prophecy is always tested with prayer against Scripture. And again, this is important to do in community. Did you notice, you know, sometimes if you send people out one at a time, and you're like, okay, I want you all to read this whatever and come back to me and tell me what it's all about, you might get 12 answers. You send out 12 people, you might get 12 answers. But if you send those 12 people out, and then they come back, and then they start working together and talking about these things, some of those folks will realize, oh, I was way off. And other folks will say, well, I didn't see that. It's not that I was wrong, but there's more that I didn't quite catch. We do better in community when we study and when we learn. I mean, maybe class sizes are too big in our junior highs and high schools and elementary schools, I don't know. But I know classes of one teacher and one student wouldn't be desirable either. It's good to learn together. Sadly, uh, we have often, in our context, uh, downplayed the role of prophecy, especially in the larger American church context, including in our own tradition. So our job then, here's what we do about this, should be to intentionally pray together in groups large and small to discover those in our context that God has gifted in this way. Not to be people that we just obey without question, like, well, they said it, so clearly that's how it's going to be, but people who have a special insight that we test against Scripture together, that especially our leadership tests against Scripture, and we come out and say, yeah, that's the direction we should head. This is a good prophecy for our church. Third, uh, God's given evangelists. This is such good news for so many of us, I know. These are people who are specially gifted to proclaim the gospel to the surrounding community. Now, note that the existence of specially gifted people to evangelism doesn't remove the responsibility on all of us to share the gospel, the good news of what God has done in our lives. See, Billy Graham, we've all heard of him probably, he may have been able to speak powerfully to large groups of people, and that's not all of our gift, is it? But those without the gift of evangelism still speak powerfully to our neighbors through our testimony to Jesus Christ. And we do this through our transformed lives, through our growing, growing holiness, through the fact that against all odds, this church holds together and loves each other and grows together. And being able to explain as well what Jesus has done in our own lives, how he's changed us, how he's good news for us. But there are people specially gifted for this who know... Just by the Holy Spirit. It's not so much they have the words to do it as they have the sensitivity. And they have the courage and the boldness. And when they speak, the Holy Spirit moves. There are shepherds. Uh, if we take a quick look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and verse 29. Here's what we read. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, with which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Be shepherds. By, by the way, be shepherds. Uh, pastor and shepherd are the same idea. So someone who says, 
you know, come over here. Let's do this. Someone who says, you know, sees when the sheep are hurt and stoops down to help. Someone who walks with people, who sets an example, who shows the way, who teaches. Shepherds are teachers as well. Now, you might notice that this is my job title, and here's what I want to say about that. I am better at teaching than at relationship, and I offer this in part as my confession, and wherever I have failed to give pastoral care to any one of you, I ask your forgiveness. I want to do that well, but I also want to remind you, uh, my first year here at the church, someone called me up and said, hey, this person you know, they're really upset because they're, they've got someone in the hospital. No one's even called to see, you know, if they're okay. It's like, well, I would love to make that phone call, but if I don't know that that person's in the hospital, I can't call. You know, there's a lot I can do to connect and be dug into people's lives, but I need your help to do it well. And sometimes, unfortunately, what that means is that you may need to swallow your pride and say, Pastor, I need help. Pastor, I need your presence. And here's the promise I'm going to make to you in return. Because I know a lot of you, and I'm very grateful for this, you, you say, I'm, I'm afraid to call you because I don't want to mess up your family time or something like that. So here's what I'm going to tell you. All of you, I think, have my cell phone number, and I want you to have that. And you can call whenever you want, and I will only pick up when I can. Does that make sense? I'll only pick up when I can. And if I can't pick up, I will call you back as soon as I can. I won't wait. That lets me set good, healthy boundaries that I know you want me to set for my family and for myself. But it also lets me, I hope, be your pastor. So I'm asking for your help with that. And I know it takes a little pride swallowing because Central Valley people were like, yeah, I'm glad you're here, but I don't need any help. Right? <laughs> I know. Because all, you know, people will be like, everything in my life is horrible and terrible. And I'm like, oh, how can I pray for you? Oh, I don't need any prayer. Like, okay, well, you know, how can I help you? Oh, I don't need any help. So let's, these can't both be true. Life can't be awful and you need no help. I get it. I get it. That's, it's hard. But toughen up, buttercup, and let's get it done. I will do my best, you do your best, and we'll do that. Finally, teachers. Some people in the church maybe don't have that pastoral gift, but do have a teaching gift. Now, these aren't completely divorced. I'm going to finish just as soon as I can. These aren't completely divorced uh, because we just said you got to speak the truth in love, right? It's not enough to just tell people the truth. you got to do it relationally in love and care for other people as well. But... There are people who that's not going to be their number one skill. They're going to be good at communicating some sorts of knowledge, and they should do that, and they should seek to grow maybe in some of those pastoral gifts. But their real gift is just in saying, here's how, here's what you need to know about Jesus. God gives us all of these people as leaders in our church so that we will be thoroughly equipped to get out there and be the presence of Jesus Christ in the world. You're not on your own. But you are, no matter what your role or job title or lack thereof in the church, you are called to the mission of the church, to be the presence of Jesus Christ. So we need to be connected to the church. 
It's only in a church that we'll find everything we need to grow as Christians. It's only in a church that we don't have to be all of Jesus by ourselves. It's only in a church that we will find the examples and the leaders we need in order to really follow Jesus. It's only in a church that we will find the care we desire to walk through life trusting Jesus. As a result, I encourage you to think this week about the people in your life who love Jesus but have dropped out of the church. It's vital that they get connected again. And of course, they're welcome here. I hope they come here, whoever they are. But the most important thing is to get connected to a healthy church in their context. And if that's not here, that means God's got a different church for them out there somewhere. So encourage the people in your life who know Jesus to be connected to a church. How can you encourage those folks this week? Now, if you're here and you're sort of on the on the boundary. You're like, well, I, you know, I don't, I'm not 100% sure what I think about Jesus, or I'm not 100% sure if I really want to be part of a church. Some of this sounds really good. Some of it, I don't really know. Um, I want to just tell you that you're welcome here as you're asking those questions. Well, and I want to also warn you that sometimes you probably won't understand everything that's happening. Sometimes you'll probably think that we're really weird and we're really strange, and I don't really know if I want to be a part of that. But no matter how you feel about it, you are welcome here to explore, uh, to grow, and to learn. You are welcome to have friendship, not just with the people in this place, but with this whole place. To come and say, you know, I need some help. And I thought maybe the church might be a part of that. Or to say, there is this great thing I'm excited about doing, and would you like to be a part of that together with me, serving our community in this way? Hey, we are Lemon Cove Community Church. We want to be connected to those different things. So if, if you're on the, if you don't know if you want to be in or out, I just want to encourage you that you are welcome to start taking advantage of what's here for you. Please stay. Please be a part of it. And then, would you, uh, would you return praise to God for your church this week? There's this great moment in a Disney movie, Lilo and Stitch. Uh, if you've never seen it, I don't really want to describe it to you because it would take too long. But uh, Stitch is this little alien who looks like an evil dog and is kind of evil, but he finds a family that starts to love him. And when his family is in trouble, there's a moment where Stitch says, you know, I, um, these people are my family, and it may be small, and it may be broken, but it's still good. I know you may have been in a prior church that hurt you. I know that if you're here, you've seen that we're not a perfect church. But would you come back? Would you be honest and straight with us where we've messed up and what we can do better in love, of course, because we're not trying to tear down but to build up? Would you give thanks to God for the things that are good and let that start to heal you? And then will you be part of the solution here? If you want to talk more about that, I'd love to have that conversation. You've got my phone number. You can ask today after church. Finally, this is really finally the end. Take some time 
in prayer and in fellowship to search out your place and your gifting in the church. Maybe you're here and you're saying, okay, Pastor Ian, you said that I've got this gift. I have no idea what it is, which means I don't know how I belong here, where I belong, or what I feel like I'm still sort of outside. So take some time on your own in prayer, yes. But even more importantly, would you grab someone in the church? Because we may not know you're thinking through this or that you have this need unless you express it. Would you grab someone in the church? Would you grab me? Would you grab an elder? Would you grab the person sitting next to you? I don't care who. And would you say, I don't know my place in this church. Will you help me explore what that might be? And that's it. Just explore. You know, it's amazing. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, the clock is ticking. If you don't get this figured out by the time it strikes 12, that's it. I'm getting rid of you. He is amazingly patient with us. It, it, it tells us, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, because Jesus is patient with us. If you don't have it figured out today, that's okay. We'll figure it out together. We'll take as long as it takes. We will be patient with you. Sometimes we might be patient for you because you're frustrated and we're just going to say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to be patient where I know you can't be patient. Keep on going. Don't give up. God's going to get us through this. Take some time in prayer and in fellowship to search out your place and your gifting in the church.